This is the Early Medieval Podcast. Before I begin discussing today's topic, I want to welcome new listeners as well as old ones. Furthermore, as there's been considerable gap between the third and fourth podcast, I want to emphasise that I will need to get used to making podcasts again, especially with regards to editing using the software Audacity. This may count for a podcast not being as smooth as possible. So what am I going to talk about today? Well, I'm going to cover the Justinian Plague, which I shall introduce below. I will talk about how scholars take a maximalist position or minimalist position. Both these are about the level of the plague's disruption and its impact on the transition from late antiquity to the early Middle Ages. Finally, I will discuss about the relationship between science and the humanities. In particular, how late performer can contribute to our understanding of the plague when considered alongside other forms of evidence. What was the Justinian plague? There have been three major plague pandemics caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis. There was one in the 20th century which affected South and East Asia, and another began with the Black Death which devastated later and medieval early modern Europe. However, the one I will talk about today is the Plague of Justinian, which lasted initially from 541 to 544, and then reoccurred for the next two centuries. The Plague of Justinian was first reported in the Egyptian port town of Pelusium in 541. From Pelusium, it spread quickly to Gaza, which was to the east, and west to Alexandria. By 542, it had reached Constantinople capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, as well as places such as the rest of Greece and also Italy. By 543, it had reached Armenia and Gaul. Ozan suggests in total it could have caused 25 million deaths. However, one must be careful when trying to calculate demographic figures for the era, as it is hard to guess the exact population levels. Well, the Justinian plague was first identified in Pelusium, Egypt, it is likely to have originated further south in Africa, according to Saris. The geopolitical situation of the 6th century provided the perfect opportunity for it to spread. The Eastern Romans had contact with the Ethiopian kingdom of Aksum, whereas the Persians had influence over Arabia. The Eastern Empire and the Persians were both using these contacts in their war against each other. Aksum itself was likely in contact with the interior of Africa, thereby allowing the plague to transmit from interior Africa to Ethiopia to the Mediterranean world. I want to start my discussion of the debate surrounding the Justinian plague by suggesting it is actually very hard to assess its impact. This is in part due to the lack of demographic data we have, but also because we have to draw a causal link between plague and certain alleged responses to it. It is hard to identify whether plague actually made these changes, or whether there was other factors such as Justinian's conflicts like the Vandalic and Gothic Wars, or even the longer-term transformations of late antiquity. Nevertheless, all that considered, I tend to believe the pandemic did have a large impact, even if it was not the only factor that affected the transformation of the 6th century and of late antiquity in general. Before I discuss the reasons for believing the pandemic did have a big effect, 
I want to highlight the arguments for believing it was not as important as has been argued. First issue to consider is demography. Wickham suggests demographic decline was localised and not general across the whole empire. He highlights the longer term processes that begin before the plague in the 5th century rather than the 6th century. By far one of the most critical accounts of plague impacts comes from Mordecai, Eisenberg and Newfield, among other scholars, who call the pandemic, quote, inconsequential. These authors focus on quantitative measures, for not at the expense of qualitative analysis. For example, they look at databases containing inscriptions. These include the IGLS database for Syria, which according to them, shows no evidence of decline between 500 and 650. There's no decrease in inscription levels at all. Meanwhile, the authors also looked at the Heidelberg Epigraphic Database, which has over 79,000 inscriptions, mainly from the Central and Western Mediterranean. Although a general decrease in number was seen over time, there's no media impact from the plague. The final demographic evidence to consider as mass burials. The authors of the paper on epigraphic evidence suggest that their presence does not necessarily indicate they were victims of the plagues. In fact, mass burials could be the result of social and cultural factors. There are other reasons summoned by defendants of the minimalist view. They often suggest that the literary evidence might exaggerate the numbers killed by the plague for rhetorical effect. Michael the Syrian, for example, suggests the initial occurrence killed 99.9% of the population. Meanwhile, Procopius claims the Emperor Justinian killed 1 trillion people during his reign due to various disasters. Of course, others may have exaggerated, but this did not mean the pandemic did not kill millions of people. In fact, the apocalyptic tones of the authors may point how serious the plague was. Finally, the minimalists suggest that the Justinian decreased issue in legislation before the first wave, and that this was not the result of a pandemic. On the other hand, if one examines the legislation qualitatively, it is possible to say that Justinian believed the plague was worth responding to in the years 542 to 545. In the March of 542, he implemented laws that helped to prop up the banking sector by making it easier to pursue fares of debtors and providing the banks access to a special court. In 543, there were clearly so many deaths that the emperor had to respond to the issue of people dying without making proper wills. In fact, he had to go as far as clarifying the inheritance rates of minors. In 544, Justinian attempted to impose wage and price controls due to the fact that individuals tried to take advantage of the high demand for labour to obtain higher wages or higher prices for selling goods. Also in 544, the emperor tried to prevent people negotiating for lower costs when it came to church land. He also tried to encourage cultivation by allowing the church to rent out land perpetually. In my opinion, Sarah summarises the issue for this legislation the best when he says, 
Justinian's legislation in the face of the first wave of the plague not only paralleled but far exceeded the efforts later recorded on part of the English state in the face of the Black Death in the 1340s and 1350s. The social hierarchy and fiscal machinery of Eastern Roman Empire had to be buttressed at any cost. Yet legislation is not the only evidence we have for the serious impact of the Justinian plague. Misha Maya suggests that create a lot of cultural changes as well. She writes, I believe the Justinianic plague marks a significant caesura in the transition from late antiquity to the Byzantine Middle Ages, not necessarily because of its immediate effects, such as the large death toll and the collapse of mil- trade and military capability in the geography of settlement that most likely accompanied it, but because of its indirect cultural consequences. In other words, because of processes in, that in the medium term were either partly set in train or at least substantially accelerated by the plague, to which scholars have paid insufficient attention. Maya then goes on to highlight the different ways in which the plague had this impact. Firstly, the plague boosted the worship of St Mary. This had been gaining some traction since the 5th century, but it was only about the time of the pandemic it gained its most momentum. This is evidenced by Justinian's decision to move Hyperpante, also known as Candlemas of Presentation of the Lord, from the 14th to the 2nd of February. This transformation in the era of the pandemic 542 moved the festival from being about Christ to being about Mary. According to Maya, this was expressly done to alleviate the plague. Secondly, the plague resulted in an increase of iconoclatry, which is the worship of icons. These provided comfort in times of need. For the worship of icons was directly tied to disasters during the pandemic. For example, in 544, an icon of Christ is said to have saved Edessa from the Persians. Where a similar icon that appeared in Kamuliani in Asia Minor miraculously reproduced itself. Furthermore, Maya also highlights the role of the plague in causing liturgification which means that religion took an increasingly important role in all aspects of life. The evidence, according to Maya, can come from a comparison between texts before the five boys and those produced in or during or after the pandemic. The imitation of classical writers was no longer desired, and religious symbolism was evoked more. Finally, the emperor became more sacralized as a result of the plague, and following on from this period, the emperors adopted more religious tones. I have now discussed reasons for believing the pandemic did have a large impact. I tend to agree with these scholars more than those who quote inconsequential. The strongest evidence comes from Justinian's legislation. It seems that he directly responded to the problems it was causing. Maya's argument is nuanced, so long as we consider the plague may not have initiated cultural changes, but actually accelerated them a lot. Finally, I want to highlight how the plague was not only one factor that caused the really antique world to transform into the early medieval period, 
Weyler undoubtedly had a massive impact and must not be considered in isolation from other forces at play. I now want to conclude with a podcast with a musing on the relationship between science and the humanities. The study of the Justinian plague has mainly been conducted in the humanities. Scientists have took an increasing interest in it. In particular, they have tried to analyse DNA of individuals to look for Yersinia pestis, the bacteria that caused the plague. The authors who did this, including Wagner and Klunk, extracted teeth from two individuals in the cemetery in Aschheim, Bavaria, Germany. They then screened for DNA to identify if they had any Yersinia pestis in them. They concluded that although the late and modern pandemics were covered by the same organism as the Justinian plague, they were a result of a separate emergence, a different form of it. Therefore, the plague of Justinian was caused by a significantly different strain than the ones that caused the later pandemics. Of course, this is not the only way science and other disciplines can increase understanding of the Justinian plague. Saris discusses some of the questions that could be asked if we take a truly interdisciplinary response, namely how did Rawdon spread the disease and how did it spread to humans? What can genetics and archaeology tell us about the demographic impacts of plague? All these re- questions require going beyond a single discipline. Talking about the relationship between the humanities and sciences requires us to consider whether sciences and humanities are not homogenous subjects. For example, a complex system scientist may tell us about how the pandemic spread, but a geneticist can inform us about the potential biological makeup of the plague. In terms of history, one individual may use qualitative evidence, while another may use quantitative techniques. They can both provide insights. I agree with Saris when he says, there's some resistance to science by some late antiquarians due to its association with traits and the supposed origins of ethnic groups. Ethnicity, of course, is a constructed and dynamic phenomenon. There's always a risk that science could be used to promote false discourses about it. However, this does not negate the fact that science can positively affect on the sun of the past so long as it's used in the correct way and within an interdisciplinary framework that is open to the humanities. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. It just took me a while to do a fourth podcast, but I've enjoyed it a lot. In terms of what I plan to do in the future, I will continue my policy of recording and publishing without a schedule. I would rather have informative podcasts than make countless ones for, for the sake of doing so. Nevertheless, I hope this episode has informed you about some of the debates surrounding the Justinian plague and my thoughts about the relationship between the sciences and humanities. Thank you.